see all of you guys this morning, and uh, welcome again. And again, if you are a guest, uh, man, I sure hope you take up our invitation to meet us at the guest reception area on your way out before you leave, and also to come back for the guest connect. We'd love to just get some face time with you uh, if you're here. Well, I have a little confession this morning. Uh, there are times when I can be harsh with my words and a little forceful with my behavior. Now, uh, for some of the people here that maybe know me more personally, you know, that I would call friend, or maybe even the people who work with me, they, they might kind of go, uh, I don't know, I don't really see that a lot necessarily. And that's, that's because this, it typically manifests itself, ironically, at home with the people I love most, right? Isn't that so weird how the people that uh, mean the most to us sometimes get the worst of us, you know? And so my, my, my beloved bride, my precious children, uh, a lot of times they're the ones that get the brunt of that. If I feel disrespected or if, if I um, see behavior I don't like or if I'm just Mr. Grumpy Pants, whatever it is, you know, um, that's typically when it manifests itself in those moments. And the Lord convicts me in those moments, and he convicts me afterwards. I mean, even last week, if you were here, we had that uh, gentleman, Gary Thomas, a friend of ours that comes in, and he talked about the gentle side of God. And there were just moments, you know, last week, and I was like, ooh, ow, ooh, ow, you know, because it's like not always gentle, not always gentle with my words, not always gentle uh, with my behaviors. And uh, I've, man, since I've gotten to a relationship with Jesus, I've grown in that area as I've matured in Christ, but there's still a lot of ground to gain in this area for my life. Now, uh, for those who can relate, and I have a suspicion that there's probably a good portion of you that can relate to what I'm saying, <laughs> what we're failing to do in that moment is to be meek. We're failing to be meek in those moments when we uh, get forceful and we get harsh and, and, and all the things that come with that. Now, what does it mean to be meek? Uh, meekness is basically this. It's strong, but not violent. It's humble, but not weak. It's courageous, but not controlling. It's assertive, but not aggressive. It's gentle, but not cowardly. It's reserved, but not passive. In a phrase, Meekness is power under control. Another way to think about it is bridled strength. That's what meekness means. Look at the scale I have up here on this slide. It's kind of like this. You might find yourself on one of these extremes. Maybe you've got a lot of power in your life, but no control. You're a hothead. You just fly off the handle all the time. You know, that's, this, is, this is the bulldozer. This is the bulldozer in life. Or maybe you're on the other side. You've got a lot of control, no power. You're, you feel like the doormat. All right, everyone just walks on you and you don't stand up to anybody. Meekness is right in the middle somewhere where we have both power and control. You know, just, just a couple of word pictures that help me understand what it means to be meek would be like this. What if you drove, what if you got out today and we just gave you a brand new Ferrari, okay? Check the back of your program. There's a little yellow, yellow sticker. If you've got the yellow sticker, that's waiting for you out front. You've got people going like this. <laughs> Man, if you got a brand new Ferrari and you drove out of here and you drove it at the speed limit, you drove it at 55 or 60 miles per hour, guess what? You're being a meek driver because you could be going 200 miles per hour like that. You're driving with power under control. Okay, maybe instead of that kind of horsepower, maybe you're more into actual horsepower. Think about a horse. A horse is a fascinating creature, isn't it? Man, they're beautiful, they're strong, they've got a huge will. I mean, here's this gal here. She's bareback riding to the fields. It's a pretty picture. A horse 
is this incredible animal. Any second that horse doesn't want you on it, you're gone. You're gone. That horse is meek. It's, it's got all that power, but it's under control, and it's allowing you to ride it. Uh, I, I saw this picture. I just thought this was funny. If these two were to actually wrestle, <laughs> if these two were to actually wrestle, that sumo wrestler would be wrestling meek, wouldn't he? Just kind of let the kid, you know, oh, the kid's got me. Oh, you know, you got me, you know, whatever. Like that would be, uh, he would have to be meek or he would squish the poor kid, you know? Or if you were to have a sparring match with a black belt in martial arts, and this is a friend of mine named Tom, nice looking guy, regular old guy, he's lethal. If you ever were to spar with a black belt and you don't get hurt, they're being meek. <laughs> this, is, this is power under control. This is bridled strength. Well, to be meek is one of the eight beatitudes that Jesus laid out in his introduction to his Sermon on the Mount. And we're spending uh, these couple months looking at those beatitudes one at a time. Now, last week, uh, our guest speaker, Gary Thomas, came and he talked about the gentle side of meekness. But I just want to dig down even deeper into this concept of meekness with us today as we look at this beatitude of being meek. So with that being said, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 10, again, looking over all the beatitudes and then zooming in on this third one, which is meekness. Matthew 5, 1 through 10. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on a mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? God, you're looking at a room full of people that struggle to be meek. God, we confess that. Lord, we're prideful. We're sinful. We want our way. We're willing to bulldoze over people who get in the way, Lord, or maybe we will hide in a corner and not stand up for what's right. But Lord, we all struggle with this concept of meekness in one way or another. God, would you do some sort of transformation in our hearts and lives today as we look at your words, as we envision you sitting on this mountainside teaching the crowds about the meek and how they inherit the earth. So Holy Spirit, be our instructors. We look at this in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen. Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You know, Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 37, 11 here. He's, he, I love how Jesus does that. He points back to other scriptures and, and, and brings reinforcement. He's saying, blessed are the meek, shall they inherit the earth. Now, we have a pretty good idea now of what meek is. We now know that Jesus calls us to be meek. Here's the question, how? How, how do we actually grow in meekness? How do we actually become meek. Well, we learn it by spending time with the master of meekness. There's, there's so much in our life, there's so much in our spiritual growth that it can't necessarily be taught. It's something that has to be caught, right? And, and we've got to spend time with Jesus, time in his word. Time in prayer, time looking and studying the life of the Savior and, and, and learning how to be meek by watching Him and learning from Him. We get to learn it first 
hand. We learn it by spending time with him. When we come into this relationship with Jesus and as a student and as disciple, we learn because Jesus is the perfect model of meekness. Don't forget, Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. He, he, he is the epitome of meekness. And so as we want to grow in our meekness, we have to spend time with Christ. We have to look at him. We have to look at the perfect model up close and personal. And Jesus invites us to come learn from him. In Matthew 11, verses 28 through 29, listen to what Jesus says. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. That can be all of us. <laughs> we all labor. We all get burdened and bogged down sometimes. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's the word gentle there. In the original Greek, this is the word praus. Praus. It is translated gentle or meek. So what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 11, he's saying that he is praus. In Matthew 5, 5, he's saying, blessed are the praus, the gentle, the meek. And so he invites us to come. He says, come and learn from me, because I'm meek. Learn it from me. I want to hand it off to you. And so if we want to grow in meekness, we learn it from the Savior himself. We see how he models meekness in his life, and we ask him to teach us. So with that, man, we have so many examples in Scripture. We, we looked at the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we, and we look at the meekness that Jesus displayed. I just want to pick three of those examples today. Three examples of Jesus being meek to help us learn how to be meek today, learn more about meekness. The first uh, moment that we can look at in the life of Jesus is this. I would call it the tax trap, the tax trap. Uh, this is when a group of extremely legalistic and hypocritical religious leaders called the Pharisees tried to trip up Jesus in public. You remember this? So, so they come to him and they're going, here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask him if it's okay for the Jews to pay taxes or not. And we ha he has all these people around him. So if he says, yes, it's okay, then he's going to fall out of favor with the people because they're not going to like the sound of that. But if he says, no, it's not okay to pay taxes, then he could be guilty of causing a rebellion, and we got him. Either way, we got him. I love how when people corner Jesus, they go, is it option A or option B? And Jesus goes, it's option C. And we can, we can learn that from our Savior, you know? And look what he does. When you look at Matthew 22, 17 through 22, here this goes down. They say, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test? You hypocrites, show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And look at verse 22. When they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and went away. You guys catch the meekness? Did you catch the bridled strength? Did you catch the power under control? He could have gone on one end where he would be like, how dare you? I'm the son of God. How dare you question me? Fire, you know. He could have done that. On the other hand, he could have just looked at the ground and been like, I, I don't know. It's, that's a good question. I, I, we'll, we'll just figure it out. Oh, look, a bird. You know, he... He didn't do that. He stood his ground. He stared right at them. And he diffused the moment with something they didn't anticipate. He displayed his omnipotent wisdom and power and strength in this subtle way, in his meekness. He diffused the very moment. 
Sure, he called them out as hypocrites, but he wasn't out of control. He was, he was under control. Hey, look, there are going to be people that challenge you and I. There are going to be people who come into our life, and they're, they're going to put us to the test. And they're going to challenge us. And we're either going to have a lot of power or no control. Or we're going to have a lot of control and no power. Or we're going to somehow find and ask God to teach us how to be meek. You know, the person who's not meek is consumed with the need to defend themselves. Jesus didn't have to defend himself. He just, he just took, he took it off the topic of what they were trying to do. The meek person has learned how to trust God, stand strong, and find a response that can diffuse the moment, the right words for the right time. This is an example of meekness. Well, what about the time that Jesus drove out the money changers out of the temple? I mean, that man, Jesus lost his cool, did he? Jesus saw a holy violation, and it was out of character. It was peculiar for Jesus to flip over tables and drive people out of the temple. This wasn't his normal, oh, there he goes again, you know. This was different. It made an impact. We're still talking about Jesus, you know, flipping over tables and, and getting the money changers out of the place that was supposed to be holy, dedicated to God under prayer. They become this just um, corrupt market. And even then, he wasn't out of control. He didn't lose his temper. He was still being meek, even in that moment. So we see, even with the tax trap, there's ways we see Jesus being meek. How about this? At his arrest. At his arrest. On the night that Jesus was arrested, he, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is not that far. You know, when I was back in Israel, I always wondered how far the Garden of Gethsemane was from, like, the city wall. It's like a half a mile. You're, like, right there. I mean, Jesus and the disciples probably saw the torches coming toward them from a distance. And so you've, you've got them about half a mile, and Jesus is there with his disciples, and Judas, leading a mob of soldiers and religious leaders, they, they come out to get him. And of course, what we see happen is that Peter gets all up in arms, and he grabs a sword, and he slices off the ear of a guy named Malchus, you know, and, and he's, like, he's ready to fight. And Jesus is like, Peter, using a California term, would you just chill out? Put the sword away. Look at, look at this meek moment. Look at this bridled strength that we see even at the rest of Jesus. In Matthew 26, verses 53 through 56, look what Jesus says. This is, this is amazing. He says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? A Roman legion was anywhere between 1,000 to 5,000 soldiers. Jesus was giving a word picture. He's saying, don't you know that at once I could have anywhere between 12,000 to 60,000 angels here now to eliminate the threat? Look what he says, though. He says, but how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against, as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching. You did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Who was in charge of this whole situation at the moment? Jesus was. In fact, if you read the account of this taking place in John, it says, when they came here, Jesus said, who do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And they fell down. They got knocked down by the power of who he was and what he said. That, that mob with clubs and swords and torches, they weren't in charge. 
They weren't the ones that had all the power in this moment. Jesus was. And you just get that, like, can you just see that in your mind's eye? The Savior of the world standing, facing the mob. And he didn't call down fire, and he didn't bring in all these angels and just say, slay them. He says, I'm going to let you take me. I'm going to let you take me. Don't be misunderstanding here. I'm in charge. In a moment, I can have all the backup I need. But then my mission, my task, my cause wouldn't pass. See, the cause for which Jesus came took greater precedent than his own personal welfare. He knew that he had to go to the cross. He knew that he needed to be nailed to that cross to pay the price for all of the sin of mankind. My ugliness, your ugliness, the things that we're ashamed of, the things that frustrate us, the the wickedness in us was nailed to Jesus on the cross. Why? Because he allowed them to do that. And his cause was more important than his personal welfare. And so he went to the cross. When you and I are confronted, when you and I go through difficult times with difficult people, Sometimes we abandon the cause for our own personal welfare, don't we? We abandon representing Christ. We abandon our citizenship of the kingdom of heaven by either losing our temper or not standing up when we need to. And we make our personal welfare become more important than God's kingdom. But Jesus didn't model that for us. Jesus modeled that the cause was more important than his welfare, but yet the whole time he was in charge. There's kind of a, if I may use this term, a sick joy. I think that you and I can get when when hostile, toxic people do their best to try to unravel us, and we don't let them. Instead, we can just smile, and we can just say, Jesus, help me or help them, because if I come in court... And we just, we just find a way to love them. We find a way to just not have to engage in a hostile way because we don't want to tarnish our representation of Christ. That's meekness. That's learning to be meek as Jesus is representing here. He, he was in complete control the whole time. And through the power of Christ, you can be in control as well through every situation. You know, there's times when, when my kids are at each other as well. They made me. I go, time out here. They didn't make you do that. You chose that. People can provoke us to react. It's always our choice to react, isn't it? It's always our choice. No one makes us do anything. It's our choice. And Jesus would say to us, choose meekness. Look at moment number three, his crucifixion. After Jesus was arrested and tried and sentenced to death by crucifixion, he was beaten until he was close to death and then taken to be crucified. I just, I just want you, and if it helps you too, you can, you don't have to, but if it helps you to close your eyes and just, in your mind's eye, lay out the scene of the crucifixion. Just envision Jesus on this hill. Envision the mob of people around. Envision the curious onlookers. Envision the people who are hostile to Jesus. Envision the people there who love Jesus. and They can't believe that this is happening. And there's Jesus. And we see in Luke chapter 23, the account of this crucifixion. It says, when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. And then the soldiers also mocked him. And coming up and offering him sour wine, they said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Can you just envision that? Jesus surrounded by mocking soldiers, mocking thieves, mocking people. All of that going on. Again, he allows He allows them to nail him to the cross because he knows that's what it's going to take to accomplish the sacrifice for the sins of mankind. And while all this hostility is going on around him, look, it's one of the phrases we love. It says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't get it. God, they don't see the big picture like I do. They don't see all that needs to take place so this moment can happen. And at his very crucifixion, again, Jesus could have said, you know what, change of plans, we're going to do it different, calls down fire, eliminates everybody, levels Jerusalem with an earthquake. I mean, he could have done all of that, like that. And he didn't. He gave him a little earthquake, he gave him a little shaking afterwards, you know. He did some stuff, but, but he didn't annihilate everybody. He allowed all this to take place. I have to read this because as I was studying, this is what popped into my mind. And I just, I don't want to, I don't want to mess this up because this is what I felt like the Lord impressed on me. He says, he knew that the reward of his restraint would far surpass the momentary satisfaction of his fury. He knew that the reward of his restraint, the salvation of souls, the need of sacrifice to appease a holy God, that the reward of this moment would far surpass the momentary satisfaction of his fury. And you and I are the benefactors. How's that work? How's that work that you and I can walk in freedom? How you and I can walk in the newness of life because Jesus took all this on himself and then said, Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't have the big picture. Meekness. I love how... The apostle Peter captures this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. He says, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been Jesus did nothing to deserve what happened to him. Yet he took it on so that we could benefit somehow. He could have exacted his justice, but his meekness, in his meekness, he withheld it. Look, you and I are going to be wronged, aren't we? You've been wronged. Hey, the good news is you're going to get wronged some more before this life is over. People are going to hurt us. People are going to lie to you. People are going to lie about you. There are going to be some people, for whatever reason, it's just they wake up and they just want to make your life miserable for that moment. I don't know what, you know, just, this happens. We can, learn, we can learn meekness from the Savior. Because in that moment when he did nothing and he allowed all this to take place, he found a way to have compassion on the ones who were actually bringing the hurts. It's not natural for you and I to be meek. It's supernatural. It has to be a work of God. 
I'm sure that some of you here, if you've been walking with Christ for a while, you've had that moment where God somehow, and you know it was God because you didn't have the ability to do this, God gave you the ability to actually have compassion or love for someone who's hurt you. And maybe it's manifested itself by just being patient with them and just, just deflecting their issues. Maybe it's, it's, it was restraint of your own temper. Maybe you've found a way to pray for them. You've converted their toxic attempts to do damage in your life. You've converted that into, Lord, help them. God, they need you. Because Jesus had the big picture. It gave him compassion. Look, you and I have the big picture. God created everything. Sin has separated us from God. God decided to solve the problem himself. He came down in person and died on the cross and he rose from the grave so that we can have access to him. And when we enter into a relationship with him, we become a beloved child of God and we get new life and eternal life. We get it. And there's a lot of people out there that don't know it and they don't have it. Isn't it weird that we get irritated at people who don't know the Lord acting like they don't know the Lord? Shocker. I picked up the snake. It bit me. Wow. Who would have thunk? Look, if you don't know Jesus, when you and I didn't know Jesus, we acted like people that didn't know Jesus. And we clawed and we fought and we scratched for what we needed to get. We had to have the upper hand. We had to be on top. We can't let people step on me. Or you know what? So many people have stepped on me. I can't be stepped on anymore. So I'm going to withdraw from everybody and everything. I'm going to go hide Conflict, oh no, red alarm, go find, you know, like a tortoise, you know, right in the shell. You know what? We've learned these things. And Jesus is going, but you have the big picture. And now that you have the big picture of eternity, that behind every piece of skin that you see is a soul that's going to live forever, ever and ever and ever. And that soul is going to either be in heaven, in my presence, or it's going to be in hell, in absence of my presence. We've learned to have compassion on those who don't know the Lord that do wicked things. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing yet. The days that we learn how to do that are the days that Jesus looks down and goes, you're learning to be meek. You're learning to be meek. You're a good student. You're a good disciple. So what's the payoff? Because if you look at all the Beatitudes, they each have a reward. They all have something that's rewarded. Well, it says here that blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does that mean? Some of you are like, I don't know, but it sounds spiritual. (laughs) It is. It's a very spiritual understanding and a very literal understanding. And it has both a here and now application as well as a future application. Let me just frame it in this way. Imagine for me, Imagine with me that sometime in the future, and you have no idea when, you're going to receive a $20 million inheritance. Some of you are like, wow, I get a Ferrari, I'm getting an inheritance, this is great. And we're not an aiming and claiming kind of prosperity gospel church, I'm just having fun with concepts. But let's just say, some down, some, let's say you knew that sometime in your future, a $20 million inheritance was coming. How would that affect the way you live now? I think about that. I mean, depending on your values, what most of us would probably find ourselves doing is taking a big breath and going, you know what, I'm going to be fine. I don't need to claw and scratch for everything right now. I just, you know what, 
you, you probably would find yourself maybe having a little less anxiety, knowing that this was coming. Maybe you find yourself relaxing a little bit. Maybe you find yourself being a little more generous already. You know, you've got to practice your generosity because, you know, you're going to have a lot to be generous with. You start thinking about how you can use it for God. and Something just changes in you because you know this great thing is coming. And so you get a benefit now because it changes the way you live, and you get a benefit then when it comes. This is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the meek, for they are going to inherit the earth, which makes a $20 million Inheritance look piddly, by the way. Because like every other child, that when their parents pass away, get an inheritance, when God comes, he's going to give us, who've trusted in Christ as his children, an inheritance. What is it? The earth. And the way it plays out now is that we can take great satisfaction in just what God is doing now in us and around us. We can find ourselves in a greater place of contentment. We can find ourselves operating out of a different mindset than what we typically do. By inheriting the earth, we get to enjoy the blessings that we get here and now, as well as the internal inheritance of heaven and earth for eternity. We're not content people by nature. But when you know that God has given you everything in Christ, you learn to be content because isn't this true? You can possess everything and actually have nothing. And in Christ, you can possess nothing and actually have everything. You've got a relationship with God. You've got a Savior who's died for you. You've got peace, hope, joy. And you know what? When this life is over and when these difficulties are over and when this trial is over and when these headlines are over, we get to spend eternity with Jesus. It's a win-win in Christ. We inherit the earth. We get to enjoy it now, and we're going to get to enjoy it forever when God comes and remakes everything new, and we live for it yet forever with him in eternity. You know, one of the ways that I've been challenging you guys to think about the Beatitudes is try to find the opposite concept to understand it. Well, if blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And you know what? Miserable are the self-consumed. Miserable are the violent. Miserable are the prideful because they're going to forfeit the inheritance of the earth and not receive all the blessings God has. Meekness opens a door to blessing. We're enriched by our contentment here. We're waiting for our future inheritance with the Lord. I love how Charles Spurgeon, British preacher of the 1800s, says it. He says, in their meekness, speaking of believers in Christ, they are like their king and they shall reign with him. He has the best of this world who thinks least of it and least of himself. And so while we live here waiting for our inheritance to be fulfilled fully and finally, you know what? Being meek will help us be better friends. Being meek will help us be better employers, be better employees, be better neighbors, be better spouses, be better parents, be better kids. Meekness has benefits all around for us. But again, this is a super natural thing. And so in order to learn how to be meek, you've got to spend time with the master of meek. That's the take-home. Growing in meekness happens by being with the master of meekness. And so those of you who are here in Christ, you have a relationship with Jesus already. It just means we need to be devoted to spending more time with him, time in his word, time in his presence, time walking with him, 
talking with him, studying his life in the Gospels, and just saying, Jesus, teach me, teach me, teach me. And if you do that, you'll see yourself learning how to be meek. And you'll have a far more victories in your life than you will setbacks. Now, there may be some of you here that this all sounds great and you're very intrigued, but the problem is you don't have a relationship with Christ. You don't have Christ in your life. Well, that's the first step you need to do. You need to get right with God. And by getting right with God, you don't just open up a door to meekness. You open up a door to to joy and hope and peace and and a a saved soul and, and so much more. And our challenge here for those of us who are in relationship with Christ is that you learn to open up your heart and let the Savior in so you can experience meekness and all the other attributes that he has for you. Here's a couple tools I want to walk you guys through as we're closing up here. Uh, how, how can you take what we just talked about and take it deeper? How can you walk out of here and do some things with what you've heard? Uh, for one, for one uh, we have a study guide online. You can go online to the, to the watch link, the message link, and there's a study guide every week on this content. I encourage you to go there, especially if you're in life groups. Hopefully all of you are in a life group. It's the next step to just get in the Christian community and, and growth. And you get to talk about the stuff on a deeper level. So do that. Maybe, maybe you come here today, and, and this is a big issue for you. Man, you really are struggling. God's really hitting you hard, and you need some extra prayer. We have a prayer cove in that back corner. We always have a few staff and a few people just willing to pray for you. And maybe you've walked in here burdened. You don't need to run off to any silly football game or breakfast or whatever. Take an extra 10, 15 minutes and just say, hey, would you pray for me? Um, this, is, this is definitely an area of challenge for me. Here's how I violate being meek. <laughs> just let them love on you by praying for you. Also, there's a response card in your program. It gives you options. You can kind of share with us what God's spoken to you, and we can pray for you off those and also be informed of any decisions you have to make, especially if you're placing your life in Christ today. If at the end of the service you invite Christ into your life, man, please share with us. Please let us know. Say, today I gave my life to Christ. I'm, I'm surrendering my self-consumed you know, nature, and I'm just going to trust Jesus. I'm doing that today. Share that with us and put that in the basket when it goes around. Now, would you pray with me? Lord, Heavenly Father, You are an amazing God. It's stunning that you are the God of the universe, but that yet you possess meekness. You teach us how to be meek. God, I pray for all of us here that we would spend more time in your word, spend more time talking and listening to you, watching and learning. God, may you give us that hope. We know that our inheritance is coming. We know that one day we're going to spend eternity with you forever as children of God, and yet, Lord, let, us, uh, let that manifest itself in more patience, meekness, contentment here on earth, Lord God. Let us inherit the earth now as an appetizer for how we're going to inherit in the future fully and finally when you come back. God, help us grow in meekness. And Lord, for anyone here this morning who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and if that's you here, uh, you can just take that first step. You can just say something like that to the Lord. Just say something like this to the Lord. Say, dear God, my life is broken. I'm prideful, I'm sinful, I'm not meek, and I need you. I believe you came, Jesus, to live, die, and raise from the grave, to rescue me from my sin. Forgive me, Jesus. I turn from my selfish ways. I'm not trusting myself anymore, but I put my trust in you. Come into my life. I know that you are Lord and God, and today I commit my life to following you. Lord, we lift up all these prayers. God, help us grow in meekness even by the time we've invested here. In Jesus' name, we all sit together.